you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, it should be a very familiar passage to you. Um, and today, what we want to just turn our attention to with this question, what message are you transmitting? What message are you transmitting? As you're turning in chapter 3, we're going to look into the first 12 verses of the chapter. I read in one of the Daily Bread um, uh, devotionals, said on January 21st, 1930, England's King George V was scheduled to give an opening address to the London Arms Conference. The king's message was to be sent by radio all around the world. Donald McCollum, in his book, The Trivialization of God, he tells us that a few minutes before the king was to speak, a member of the CBS staff tripped over an electrical wire, which broke at the time of tripping over it, and it cut off everything that would be going to the American audience. With no hesitation, the chief control operator, Harold Vidian, grasped one end of the broken wire with his right hand, the other end with his left hand, and began restoring the circuit. Electricity surged through his body, ignoring the pain Vidian held until the king had finished his address. He became a conduit. For the address to be able to still go out. I think this is a challenge for us today as Christians. The message of the king of kings must go out into the world today. But it's only when we join with God in his mission and we trust God to do the work through us. Can we be a transmitter of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 10 and 14. How shall they believe in him who have not heard? If we're willing to serve as a transmitter, regardless of the cost, the good news will be proclaimed around the world. Amen. But we've got to be willing to transmit the gospel. When we look here in this passage, we begin to see a message that's transmitted. We begin to see how John the Baptist shares a message, an important message to the people. The Bible tells us in John 3, 1 through 3, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And his food was, was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. And were baptized by him in the Jordan confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to, to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, you have Abraham as your father. 
For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to share your word. And we pray that you would hide us behind the cross. We pray, God, that he, the Holy Spirit, would come down and, and just speak to our hearts. For God, he doesn't have to come down, for he lives within us. So God, we pray that you would have your way with this message today. Speak to each and every believer. Challenge us, God, through your word. But God, we pray that you would convict each and every sinner, each and every person who is far from God. And God, as you do, we'll give you praise for what's accomplished. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. In this passage, we read about John the Baptist and and what we should see if we would read much about John is that John is an example for every minister and every believer of the gospel. He shared a message that has transcended time, a message that, that we all should be sharing. In chapter 3 in Matthew's gospel, we meet John and, and this discourse of John speaking Crying out in the wilderness, it can be found in all four Gospels. And, and when we see this here in Matthew's Gospel, we see he is preaching in the wilderness. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind or, or where your mind goes when we see that word wilderness. But what I, it, it's not, this wilderness is not a deserted or an abandoned desert-like place. If you read and study the context and study the setting, what we find in the history is this is a, a countryside area where the communities and villages are just scattered around it. And here what we find is John is on the outskirts of these communities or these villages and, and he's crying out to the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The fact that the message of John the Baptist, the message from the man that Jesus said in Matthew 11 and 11, that surely I say to you among those born of women has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. This man's message rang loud to the people from the wilderness. I want us to get it clear this morning when it seems like we're all alone when it seems like the world has placed us in the outskirts of everything around us, when it seems like we've been pushed away or it seems that we need to just get away, 
when it seems like the world sees that we are being rejected, when, when it looks like no one wants to be around us, when it feels like we're in the wilderness, we must remember that, the God, that God, our God, the God of glory, he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. And those of us who've been blood washed, whose name's been recorded in the Lamb's book of life, we must read out this same message that John shared. Even when we're in the wilderness. Oh yes, this is a great, this is an important, it's a noteworthy message that's transcended time. And it must be shared from John the Baptist's day until the church age ends. It must, we must ring out from the wilderness even this message. When we look in this passage, there are three things I want us to notice about John's message to us. First, before we can notice anything about the message, we have to understand the forerunner's message. We need to know what the forerunner's message is. John's message to the people was to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's message was a fulfillment of prophecy because I, 400 years ago, I had years had passed and since Israel had heard from a prophet and now shouting from the, from the wilderness is a, is a man coming out uh, clothing camel's hair with a belt wrapped around him and he's, he's shouting out this message and prophecy is being fulfilled. Because Isaiah said in 40 and 3 that the, that the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. And, and here he is. Here's who Isaiah spoke about. He's crying out to the people. The voice in the wilderness is crying out to them for their need to repent of their sins. When we truly repent of our sins, we are humbled, we are broken, we turn away from our sins. We may be tempted, we may even struggle physically, but spiritually we have no desire to engage in the sinful lifestyle. That's the difference in, in, in a believer and a non-believer. A, a non-believer, he, he is desiring to go after these sins and even with a believer when physically our flesh our eyes our pride it may want us to go after sins there's something stirring up there's something warring with the flesh and that is the spirit of God it's alive within us and it wants nothing to do with the sin John is telling the people that it's urgent that they repent he says for the kingdom of God is at hand. The indication here is that unless they repent, they will not see the kingdom of heaven. Here in Acts 3, 19, the Bible tells us, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In other words, until we're willing to humble ourselves, until we're willing to repent of our sins, turn away from them and turn to God and let him be Lord of our lives, the kingdom of heaven will not belong to us. Many of us here today can go back 40 years. I said many of us, not all of us. Many of us can go back 40 years. 40 years ago in the 1970s, uh, 
if you watch preaching on television, whether it was Oral Roberts, whether it was Jimmy Swaggart, Jerry Falwell, or Billy Graham, whether it was Pentecostal Baptist or Presbyterian preaching, you heard hell, fire, and brimstone preaching. And when you heard, and what you heard was that hell was real, and if we didn't repent of our sins, then we would not see heaven. We had spent an eternity in hell. And somehow this fundamental truth has been replaced with this name it and claim it preaching. It's been replaced with this seed planting preaching that we call the prosperity gospel. It's been replaced with this feel good preaching that's itching our ears and leaving out the truth that only the blood of Jesus Christ can remove our sins away from us. Folks, the, tr- the truth is, is that John was right. He, it was right for him. It was right for the people of his day. It was right for us 40, 50 years ago, and it is right today. With the message we must share is the same message that John the Baptist shared, that we must repent of our sins and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior if we want to spend eternity in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some of you today, you may be in this place and you're far from God. I want you to know the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What do you mean? It could come at any time. There's not one thing that has to happen that prevents God from coming. What's preventing him from coming right now is his grace and mercy calling out to you today. To repent and receive Jesus. It's the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who will believe. This is the message. The forerunner's message is the message we share. Why? Because there's fruit in the message. When we look here in this passage, we see the fruit in the message. John's, John's message bore much fruit. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the crowds gathered and listened to his preaching. If you look in Luke's gospel, what you find, it records that multitudes came to hear John, including tax collectors and, and soldiers. And they didn't just come and listen to his preaching, but they responded to his preaching. They confessed their sins and were baptized. Confession is a vital part uh, to repent. 1 John 1 and 9, it verifies this. It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Until we acknowledge and agree that we have sinned, we will not turn away from sin. If I don't acknowledge that lying's a sin, I'll continue to lie. If I don't acknowledge that getting high is a sin, I'll continue getting high. If I don't acknowledge that adultery is a sin, we'll continue committing adultery. What we, what we have to understand is that until we confess the sin in our lives, we will not repent of the sin in our lives. And if we, and I've got good, I got news for us all, that the sin, whether we confess it or whether we don't, it's still sin. Multitudes, including tax collectors and soldiers, came to hear and to respond to this message that the forerunner shared. But also, according to Matthew's gospel, those weren't the only ones there. 
that the Pharisees and Sadducees came to this baptism. Some would say this, these religious leaders, they came just to see what was going on. You know what happened if something catches a fire? People go see what's happening. People go see what's burning down and how is it going to affect them. And, and that's what these men were doing. They were, they were going to hear his preaching and to, to go back and report to the high priest what was going on and what was being said. They wanted to, the high priest wanted to know if John was a threat to them. But what John didn't do when he noticed who was there, when he noticed the who's who of the religious area of Jerusalem at that time showed up, what John didn't do is he didn't back down from his message. He didn't start sugarcoating things just to itch their ear and, and to make them happy. He didn't start, he didn't start saying things that, they would, that only they would enjoy and, and that they would nod their head and say, we agree. Whether we agree with it or not, truth is the truth. And Jesus Christ is the truth. No, <laughs> he didn't back down from them. As a matter of fact, he called them a brood of vipers. Can you imagine that? He called them snakes. He should have got up under their skin. It should have made them angry, and I'm sure it did. He warned them to flee the wrath that was to come. And in the discourse, John challenges them to, to bear fruit worthy of repentance. In other words, John was telling them to not come with just lip service, but, to, but instead come and confess and repent and let their walk line up with their words. When we repent, it, it, we can't just, it can't just be about words. There must be a change of conduct. When we truly repent of our sins, we won't walk the way we used to walk. We won't talk the way we used to to talk. For 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, therefore if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold all things have become new. I'm convinced that if we want to say that we belong to him and there's not been a change in our lives, there's not been a change in the way we think, there's not been a change in the way we walk, there's not been a change in the way we behave, if we're continuing to act like the world, we never met Jesus Christ. He will change our lives. Will we have moments? Yes, we'll have moments. But the frown that was on our face when we got saved should be upside down after we are saved. Yeah. Notice what has taken place. The multitudes, including the tax collectors and the soldiers, responded to the message. They acknowledged that, acknowledged that they had confessed their sins, repented, and they were baptized. But the religious leaders, the pompous, self-righteous of the day, they failed to confess their sins. They failed to repent of their sins, and they failed to be baptized. So John shares with them, don't think that because you are descendants of Abraham, that that makes you right with God. For no one can get right with God. God has to make us right with him. Amen. People will say things we don't really know what we're saying. And, and I take that often because, especially as a young Christian, I said a lot of things I didn't know what I was saying. And even now, I, I will catch myself uh, saying some things and then after pondering on it, oh, that just weren't right. You notice that in the prayer. 
When I said, God, come down, let your Holy Spirit come down, the Holy Spirit resides within me. He ain't got to come down from heaven. He's here. You know, we, we, we say things that we don't always understand. And here, um, that we realize that it just ain't right. And, and when I hear people say, well, I got right with God this week. No, you didn't. God in his grace and his mercy and his love and his compassion made you right with him. We can't get right. We ain't got enough of sense to get right with God on our own. He, he does everything. He initiates everything. All we do is join him. What I mean is it's him who calls us. We don't know that we need to be saved. We don't even know that we're lost. We don't know that we're in a backslidden condition. We don't know until he reveals it to us. And once he reveals our state to us, he calls us to himself. And then when we respond and we receive him, it's him pulling us to himself this isn't about us (laughs) it's all about him yeah these men John is wanting them to be clear that just because they were born of Abraham's lineage didn't make them right with God you know one of the baits of Satan is to convince us that we have no need to repent He convinces us that our religious activity and our position and possessions are blessings from God and we're okay. Yeah, he convinces us that because we're of a privileged family or or the right social group that we belong, that that we're fine, that surely God's favor and blessings been upon us and we don't have to worry. However, in Revelations Gospel 3, 14 through 22, what we find is Jesus speaks the truth about a church filled with wealth, a church that has no need for material things. Jesus shares that that they do not even know that they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He shares that they are lukewarm and neither neither hot nor cold, and he's going to vomit them out of his mouth. Jesus tells the church that he loves them, but he will rebuke and chasten them. They must be zealous and they must repent. I want to tell you, if you haven't had a time in your life where you've truly repented, you must repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of the gospel is for everyone. No one is exempt from needing to repent. No one is exempt from needing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter what family we come from. You know, Billy Graham won many to the Lord. But Franklin and and Ruth, uh, Anne, all of them, his wife, his children, they had to know Jesus for themselves. Knowing him and being a part of his family didn't make them right with God. It doesn't matter what family we come from or who... In our family has one meaning to the Lord. It doesn't matter what our heritage is. Our heritage has no value. Putting on righteousness of our parents or our grandparents or the pastor or the Sunday school teachers, it will not work. Putting on the righteousness of the wealthy will not work. All others' righteousness is but filthy rags. All our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. Romans 3 and 10 tells us there is none righteous. No, not one. In Isaiah 64 and 6 it says, but we are all like an unclean thing and, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. The only righteousness we can put on that will make a difference when we stand at the, ju- at the judgment is the righteousness of Christ. In order to put on his righteousness, we must do things his way. We can't have it our way. It's not Burger King. It's Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. It's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yes. Judgment 
is at hand, and it's inclusive. You know, there are churches today that don't want you to come unless you're individually invited. They don't want people to just walk into the doors. And in this church, we, we include anybody, any, whosoever will can come. But whosoever will needs to repent. If we want to know Jesus, if we want the kingdom of heaven to be our home, we must repent. Listen, the forerunner's message is a message that we must share because that message has fruit in it. But we can't miss the focus of the message. The real focus of the message is not John the Baptist when we look in this. John states that he baptizes with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. I love the way the beloved disciple John recorded John the Baptist's words in John 1, 26 and 27. He says, and John answered them saying, I baptize with water. But there's one, there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. You know, in that day, <laughs> there's not many people who would have said that who come after me is preferred before me. You see, John's about six months older than Jesus. We remember that story when Mary goes and, and meets up with Elizabeth and, and John meets Jesus for the first time in the belly of these two mothers and, and John leaps because he testifies that this is the Christ even in the womb of his mother. These idiots want to take babies and kill them at, at, right at birth, at partial birth abortion and say they, they don't know anything. They're not real babies. I want you to know John in the womb of his mother testified that Jesus is God. These lawmakers are going to answer to God and so will we if we put them in place. We must repent. The message is that we repent. Here, let me listen to the real focus of this message. In Matthew's gospel, John says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In other words, what he is saying, the real focus here is the Messiah. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is coming to execute judgment. John said, the one who will come will baptize. He will judge and he will purge. Those who receive him, the Holy Spirit of God, will be quickened, made alive to abide with us. Aren't you glad you've received him? And if you're here today and you are saved, you know that you belong to him and he belongs to you. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit has been made alive within you? It just makes all the difference in the world. We heard one testify of peace that he has. He wouldn't have that peace if the Holy Spirit wasn't alive within him. We've heard the testimonies of, of assurances that God done things. We wouldn't have that, that peace and that, that understanding of assurance. We Miss, Miss Mary, she would have had surgery this week and, and she may share this with you. 
surgery for herself. But I want to tell you, she was never concerned about the surgery. She had a peace. She had comfort. She had assurance from God. Everything was going to be all right. And because of that, she was able to go into that surgery and not worry. I want to tell you, that's only because the Holy Spirit of God is being quickened in our lives. John said, one's coming to judge and to purge. And those of us who've received him, we, the Holy Spirit has been quickened. But those who refused him, you will be purged. Jesus teaches in the scriptures in Matthew 13, 24 through 30, that we let the wheat and the tear grow together. But at judgment day, he will separate the wheat from the tear. The wheat will be gathered up for himself and the tear will be burned. The focus of the message is Jesus Christ. The focus of the gospel is Jesus Christ. Listen, church, we can't worry about not sharing the gospel because it's not about us. It's about him. We must share this message. When I opened up this message, I asked the question, what message are you transmitting? As we've journeyed through this text, we have seen that the forerunner had a message to share, repent and be baptized. His message was a fruitful message because multitudes came to hear him and he didn't change nor stop sharing this message because of who come. Everyone who came needed to hear the message. He made sure he shared the real focus of the message, the Messiah, the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world is coming. So what message are you transmitting? What message am I transmitting? My prayer is that every believer in this place is sharing the message of the gospel. Confess, repent, and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's not about us. It's about him who left the splendor of heaven. Come to the sin-cursed world. He lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death. He shed his blood for the remission of sin under his own power. He arose from the grave to give us victory over death, hell, and the grave. He promised he's coming back to receive us to himself, that where he is, there we can be also. How can we not share this wonderful message? Can you understand why I've been so antsy? Can you understand why I've, I'm, I've been excited to be in the pulpit today to share the message of Jesus Christ? One writer said, when I gave my life to Jesus, he became my Lord and friend. Now his power is flowing through me as his message I extend. As every head's bowed and every eye's closed, if you're here today, and you belong to Jesus, I challenge you, share the message. I don't know what to say, just tell what happened to you. How Jesus, the Son of God,
saved you. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm extending this message to you right now. God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die in your place. And if you would admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and receive and confess him as your Lord and Savior. Today, you can go out and share this wonderful message, being assured that you have been saved from the penalty of your sin. We hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner and that you are in need of a Savior and believe that God sent His very Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins, and that he died for our sins. And he arose on the third day. And then if you would confess him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart. And you must be willing to serve him. If you are, all you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church. And I believe God will richly bless you.